So, um, <clears throat> we're in chapter 9 still. We've gotten through the potter and the clay. And I, uh, I've been asked by someone who listens to these tapes a lot, or these recordings, to tell uh, those who listen to the Sabbath school class what the pastor said that I said he was going to say uh, several weeks ago. And what he said is that the issue in chapter 9 is not salvation. It's the issue of, of uh, God bringing glory to himself. And I, I'm not sure I'm getting it absolutely right, but that's along the lines that I think the pastor was going. Uh, so that just gives us a little different shift maybe to work on. It does seem that Paul is um, using it in a way on salvation. There's some texts that seem to say that. There's other texts that seem to suggest the other way. So I will let those listening to determine what they think it is. I'm not going to redo that passage. So let's start with verse 25. And Wendy, would you read 9.25 to 29? And this is New Living Translation, just so you know, it's a bit different. Concerning the Gentiles, God says to the prophecy of Hosea, Those who were not my people, I will now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, You are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of the heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. So... What do you make of this? What is his main point? I think sometimes we get caught up in the details. I think we sometimes get caught up in the details and we don't look at the main point. And sometimes we get the de- let the details sidetrack us into a totally different area that Paul didn't intended us to go. So what is the main point, would you say? That God has a people? God has a people among the Gentiles, and and he, and, and we have to recognize that this language is the language of determinism. Is this I didn't love them before, but I love them now. It, it's like um, it's like God sometimes loves us and sometimes doesn't. Is that what we're supposed to deal with? I don't think that's the meaning at all. I think the meaning is that he could not. He was not in a position where he could bring the Gentiles into Israel. And that's, that's Paul's goal, is to try to join the two together and bring as many Gentiles and Jews out of uh, their constructs that they've been believing and into believing in Jesus as the Messiah. So more of a timing thing? Yeah, it's possible. And I guess I, I, I come out of this from my own background. There are things that I have wanted to do with my life that God has kept me from because there was no place to bring them safely to, no safe harbor. And so I've had to work within certain restrictions. 
And maybe that's maybe that's coloring my thinking here. I was just reading about the uh, time during the Dark Ages when the church had become such a powerful force to anybody who spoke against their creeds and it became so severe with persecution that God's people had to actually be silent for a while because anything they said was taken wrong. And so they were, it says they went in an obscurity. That was their safe place. And there's a time when that has to be to preserve God's people. But I think there's also a time when he says, okay, now we're ripe for change. We're ripe for something better and bigger to happen. And a couple of times, and I've been wrestling with this, is when political-ish power gets into leadership, just like the Pharaoh thing. Sometimes by letting them us see the true colors helps I, us I, to realize really what God is offering that is opposite. Um, and so that even now, in what we're facing today, that does God want to have those things happen? No. But He allows them because He is a God of patience and love and He wants us to see that He is just all the time. He is loving all the time. Yeah. You know, anyway, I've been wrestling with this. so it Well, just... I've, I've come to that same conclusion. In fact, I have a friend I pray with uh, frequently on Friday evenings. And we were talking last night and I said, you know, I, I really believe that God is allowing this. Uh, and it's going to get worse mm -hmm. instead of better mm -hmm. because that's the only way we can see yep. how corrupt it is, how yep. bad it is to go this direction. Yep. Uh, and God lets things play out. Uh, he does not micromanage. Yeah. Think of uh, was it, what was Paul's instructor in uh, Gamaliel. And he said, even of Jesus, mm -hmm. or of the disciples, I guess it was, right. he said, if this is going to, you know, if, if, they're this gonna, is God, if this is of God, you cannot stop it. But if it is not, then it will fall. And you don't have to deal with it. And you don't have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so that, wow. Yeah. I, I love that. Wow. <laughs> but, but we have to let it play out. Yeah. You yeah. have patience. Which is hard, but it doesn't mean we don't speak out no, against wrong. No, it, it doesn't mean we, we hide, <coughs> hide and just let it hurt people around us, but we, we can speak truth in love, I right. think. But, it, oh, it's hard to do. <laughs> well, it's easy to get full of consternation. I think, yeah. I think the greatest adjective that marks my experience in the last week is horror. Yeah. Just horror. I just how yeah. can they do this? Yeah, it is so terrible. I can't even get my mind around it. So, did, did it pass? Mm -hmm. It did. So um, let's read verses thirty to the end of the chapter, which is thirty-three. Uh, Susan, would you read that for us, please? Sure. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. 
But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith? But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling block, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Powerful. This, this oh, reminds me of uh, Alex Bryant's response to what happened, um, where he suggests that this is the natural outgrowth of where the church has gone since Ellen White died. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't say it quite this way. <laughs> I'm kind of putting words in and that the truth is we have exchanged Jesus, which the early pioneers, when they came, when the Millerite movement was going on and, and the early pioneers were involved in that, Jesus was everything. Mm-hmm. Their whole focus, their whole uh, desire was for him. They wanted to see him again. And then through the generation since, and it began right after the church was organized, it was no longer Jesus. It was tr- doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And um, and instead of instead of surrounding those, looking at those doctrines through the lens of Jesus, they the doctrines became the end in themselves. And especially mm-hmm. after Ellen White died, became extremely doctrinal as a church. And Jesus just disappeared. I I'm I'm not I'm not exaggerating when I say Jesus disappeared. Because when I was a child in the 60s, and the generation that the grandparents of my generation were in were young adults in the 1920s and 1930s. Okay, so so I had, we were being taught by that whole generation mm-hmm. before. When when I was a child, sermons. Every single sermon was on some sin. That's all we heard about was sin. Every single Sabbath. And it was, maybe it was being in Oregon, I don't know. (laughs) But um, that's all we heard about is sin. And I finally, when I, by the time I was 11, I was trying, wondering one day, how did pa- pastors come up with something to talk about every week? I mean, that must be kind of hard. And then I started thinking about what pastors did talk about. And I was like, I know what it must be. It must be like this. The, con- the conference president sends out a letter to all the pastors asking for a list of all the sins that their members have committed during, during the year. <laughs> And, and they send in all these sins, and then the the con- conference organizes all the sins into a, a scheme and a, fi- a fifty-two Sabbaths, and then sends the list out to the pastors so that they know what to preach about. And I never heard about Jesus. I heard you were supposed to be good, and, and Jesus to me was a stern figure. I didn't. I didn't feel comfortable with him. I, I still struggle actually with that old, ingrained mm. picture of Jesus at the judgment, telling me I can't go to heaven because, on May 3, 1964, I missed a corner of my dresser while dusting. I mean, that was how legalistic things were, and um, I remember then, when I was about 12, that apparently word got out to the pastors that they should add some hope 
and not just present sin, but but uh, but present hope in Jesus at the end. So we would get this P.S. <laughs> at the end of sermons that said, "By the way, by the way, Jesus still loves you," and it seemed like the gray clouds of Oregon that were always parentally over our heads parted and the sun came out just at that moment and I'm like maybe God does love me and I if it hadn't been for God reviving young people in the Adventist church Mm -hmm. my generation Mm -hmm. we had a revival if it hadn't been for that Mm -hmm. we would still be I mean what is happening now would be considered the right to do in all circles Except maybe Southern California, yeah. <laughs> uh, because Southern California we had we had heard a beat of a different drummer even back in the sixties. <laughs> um, even back then. Mm-hmm. So, I the thing I'm thinking is that we've lost sight of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we talked about the fact that in as we grow in our faith, like the starting out at the mustard seed, we think. In very concrete terms, this is bad and this is good. If as we come out of whatever, oh, this is was bad music because when I was a sinner, this is what I listened to. So now it's bad. Everything's bad, and now I have to do the good. And as we grow and mature, all of a sudden, it's not about the do's and don'ts and don'ts, I should say, um, but it's about that relationship. And it calls us so much further beyond oh, do absolutely. and don't, and it's so much deeper. And harder because we are so selfish. Right. And so I, I think that the mentality that we're battling is a child mentality of do's and don'ts and, and my daddy's bigger than your daddy and um, I'm going to do it my way. This is the right and this is the wrong and there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no relationship of a loving God. no. no. And, and so we don't we don't have yeah. we don't have an elevated concept of love. Yeah, love is just to I think to many Adventists, love is sentimentalism. Yeah, it's, watered it's down. Weakness, Weak, it's weakness. Yeah. It's it's not, and that's not love at all. Love is yeah. difficult. Love. love is loving your enemies. Love yeah. is um, being unselfish and and self sacrificing even. Doing the right thing, losing losing yeah. self interest and lo- and loving others as Christ loved them. Ellen yeah. White talks about two stages. It talks about the golden rule: we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And then she mentions that the greater, the higher level of love is to love as Jesus loved. Mm-hmm. That calls even more. Because if we love only according to how we love ourselves, we're still pretty selfish. Well, he even right. talked about that. He said, even even the heathen do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And what was really, uh, I've been in dialogue with a few people and just praying as I dialogue to have wisdom. But this young man who is very staunch, and he said, well, just get rid of them and they can go start their own church and have all women pastors. And just get rid of, get rid of all the people that that are against the document. Oh. And and I, I asked him, I said, so your brothers and sisters in Christ, you would rather just throw them away than love them and work with them? And and he said, yeah. He says, I don't... He, and he quoted things of, uh, of Scripture of saying to not associate 
with. I mean, he he truly, truly was trying to, anyway, and I was just shocked, and I said, what about Jesus' commission to love your enemy? And I guess I'm your enemy at this moment, but I don't want to be. You know, what What about that? You know, is that something, I? you know, I just, the the way his, his mindset is. And so I've finally decided I don't think I can get through because he is so blinded by his anger against somebody messing with the authority that he takes as full you know, authority. You know, that, this is a sidetrack, I suppose, but that very discussion demonstrates something that's a, a bit baffling to me. Yeah. And that is, how is it that these people, that the people who want authority, once they get mm-hmm. it, they get are still angry with those who don't buckle under that authority. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, it should be rejoicing. Not, yeah. We right. got our document. Right. We have yeah. our committees. Yeah. Now satisfied. we can do what we can. Now we can cleanse the church. But but in discussion, they're just hateful and angry and yeah. and towards despiteful each other de- de- towards, towards those who don't agree with that yeah. kind of authority. Yeah. And and so it's yeah. it's it's baffling to me. It's like I would think they would be having a jubilee party yeah. and and all of that instead of being so angry. Doesn't anybody see that this is a repeat of history that has has to do with the other church that we've stood against all this time? Well, and also, I actually posted, and and God forgive me, maybe I was being too provocative, but I said the first compliance committee tried to kill Jesus. Oh, the first compliance committee. (laughs) I I love it when you put it in modern terms. So, um, because he was out of compliance, and um, they wanted to kill him. him. Mm -hmm. And I just, so I'm, I'm really trying, so I'm actually asking God to really help my own heart to find love for those that are babes in faith that don't understand it's a relationship and that's much greater than a do you know, and a don't. when you haven't experienced the love of God, and especially yeah. when that love makes you feel threatened yeah, because it threatens yeah. your power, yeah. that little humble rock... And our selfishness. That little, that little humble rock mm. cut out without hands, yeah. that is without power, mm. that descends and strikes the image is more threatening to that image than all the metal all the metals yeah. that image has including iron. Yeah. It oh, it, it it smashes it yeah. to and and I think that the, there's no greater evidence of that fact than the response of people to love being loved. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing is what you said right yeah. now about having God help me yeah. to be loving to yeah. to these people is that What's hard about that is that it's us, like you're trying for that and asking God for that. Yeah. But it's not coming from the other side. It's yeah. always, it's like one-sided. And it, it, ha- it is because yeah. true and love, really difficult. true love from God is one-sided, isn't it? You're I mean, right. Yeah. Well, it's supposed author. to create love in us. It's yeah. supposed to create a response yeah. of love, but it, it it so often is one-sided. But there's hope because Paul was a Saul, 
I know. I always think of that too. You know, <laughs> he was. He story. thought he was following God, <laughs> yeah. and he'll say, "I was wonderful in yes. the Jewish system. Yeah. I was without sin. I was this. I yes. was that. I was that. I was that." It's very. But helpful. it is nothing it compared the tribe of with Gen- Benjamin, which is why he had the name Saul. Saul was oh, Benjaminite. Yeah, I just yeah. Amazing. He was he, but man, what it took for him to change, man, yeah. that's like a huge bolt of lightning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll say one thing. When I came um, about this, and that is, is that when I came into the church, yeah. when I got all the things that I had never heard and understood before, yeah. I wondered where I was all this time, and I was sorry that I didn't hear about this twenty or thirty years yeah. later. And then yeah. over the course of one year, I heard about all the things that went on twenty or thirty years later, and realized that I was glad I wasn't there. <laughs> and then, but what I was glad for yeah. is to learn in a short period of time yes. what they went through instead of be, having to be patient and go through it all yeah. because I would have left. Yeah. And, so, and so I was grateful for that. Yeah. But um, I had a... Um, I, I have more questions in all of this that I've been studying than I have answers, but I did get a strong impression that I think I want to share. And it is. I've I've had an impression. I do I do understand I, I do understand through Scripture that the 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 cross is a stumbling block to the Jews and to the Greeks. It is a uh, what do you call it? It's a no. What's it? What's the verse? To the to the I can't I can't remember. Okay, the word. but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, They're yeah. just like oh, get out of here. Yeah. But to the Jews is a stumbling block. I got, a, I, I, I took this to heart, and I got a strong impression about what the stumbling block is. It's, it's, you know how you, 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 you know how you see the forest for the trees and the trees for the forest. I've been seeing the forest, but I've been, re- but now I realize there's two trees there. Okay, so I've refined my understanding possibly as to what the stumbling block is, mm-hmm. and it's not as I was impressed before, as I had thought before. Um, you know the verse that says they all worshipped him, but some doubted? Okay, so here's the deal. You look at him, and even the Jews, and we have some accounts about how like Pontius Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas weren't impressed by him. Okay, I, there, there's some notions there, either in Ellen Weiss' work or the Bible. Okay, but you know how that verse goes, they all worshipped him, but some doubted, and doubt is... Um, doubt is the opposite of faith, and, and faith is synonymous with belief, and belief truly is being willing to do as he has done. So we, we all are grateful for something, some fine, wonderful thing that somebody has done for us. But then we go out and are confronted by the guy that owes us, and then are tempted not to do the same thing. And forgive him. So the stumbling block isn't at, it doesn't occur at the first moment where they behold him and they're all in awe. Even those that rejected him ultimately possibly were in awe of him in, in the moment. But in the next moment where it hits home, where the rejection, where it becomes a stumbling block for the Jews, at least is where they are unwilling to do for others is what was done for him. And then they become at risk of befalling the same fate that Pharaoh fell at the respite. 
And I got another impression about what the respite means. The respite is the cross. And the reason why was, is because when he had, after the first plagues, he had asked Moses to pray for him. And Moses prayed for I never understood all of this jargon before. But he asked Moses to pray for him. And then the respite came. And basically what's happening is, is the natural consequences, this is like an, onto a natural consequence that has befallen to, to Pharaoh for the condition of which he's in. And it's falling to Christ so that he doesn't have to suffer it. Now, it, it, it takes a little bit of digging to see that respite and that from that plague being an image of the cross, but it's actually falling to our Savior, okay? And he's great with that, okay? But in that period of that respite, he hardens his heart. And what's the whole issue about here in the first place? To free the people, to stop oppressing them, okay? And so he is befalling to a, a series of oppressions. He's being oppressed. He and his people in Egypt are being oppressed by these plagues. This is a form of oppression, okay? And then he asked for him to pray for, for him, and he gets this respite. And he's like, oh, wow. But then what's the next thing? Wait a second. All this stuff is befalling to me because of them. I got a kingdom to build here. I can't let them go. Do you see? He's not doing for others what he had asked to be done for him. And he received that. He was unwilling to do for others. And now this stumbling block is not just them beholding the cross... No, everybody always appreciates what a good, fine person does for you. But the next moment of the risk of hardening your heart is when you're unwilling to do it for others. And, and, and this is the fate that is being suggested here in this text that will befall to them, yeah. to, the, to the Jews. I like verse 32, at, in, at least in this version. So, uh, it's about the why not. Because they are trying to get right with God by keeping law instead of by trusting in Him. Mm-hmm. Thought that was good. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. Well, that that undergirds our current whole situation. Both mm-hmm. what both of you said. Mm-hmm. What we're looking at right now is: Are we going to get unity by our works? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to allow the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to bring us unity? Mm-hmm. Are we going to make the church purified by our own works? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to purify it? I, I don't know. External, internal. I don't know how these people mm-hmm. who are so convinced they have to make the church unified and have to make the church mm-hmm. purified. Because they've even brought up, you know, you got it's more like gardening. You've got to go out. This was somebody in the general conference that wrote this. Who has capitulated to that side? What, plucking um, out the weeds. Yeah, plucking out the weeds of your garden. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What about the parable the, mm-hmm. of the wheat and the tares? Yeah. Yeah. And, and who is it that harvests the garden? It is the angels. Yeah. It is not us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Let me and let me make this next point. The the next point is. Is it because I because I've been dealing with this in other circles? The world is going through the same thing, by the way, right now in politics in the world. It's it's interesting that the church is having a thing, and then I'm going through this with other circles that are not Adventists that I visit 
um, because because I'm learning, we're learning a lot of things together. And anyway, so it's the same thing that's going up. It's going on everywhere right now. And so this is this is my conclusion. Neither side, the side that's for what they're doing, is right, and neither are we that are against it. And it not that not that not that the side that is right should not be against it. Okay. But my point is, is that those are, that are against it, what they're about to do, don't have the answer either. And, and, the, and the answer that I gave to somebody that was that, a friend of mine that is a Jewish fellow um, that is studying with um, the, a lot of Jewish peoples right now, he was up and whore about Adolf Hitler and was upset that the guy, he just wished he had never been born for all the evil that he did. And I said, who are you to wish that? You know, you're wishing that somebody was never born. Okay. You know, it's not, I learned, I told him, I learned a long time ago. It's not what you go through. It's how you go through what you go through, because you don't necessarily have a choice of, of what it is that you go through and you don't really there's something that you're missing if you if you simply don't want somebody to have never been bored okay but the point here is is this the text that i gave him is i said the answer is and could be found i believe in when the world will be convicted of sin righteousness and judgment and i said the rebuke is really on us for them not being convicted of those things. And I asked him to go search the scriptures and find out what it is that takes place in a people when the world is convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And, and we know it's a reception of the Spirit. That's right. and, and the rebuke is on us. And this thing that they are going right now, is there's going to be a repetition. God waited. He's waited long enough. He's going to allow them to do this. None of us like it. But what it's going to do is force the few people that remain to search the scriptures, understand principle, and receive the Spirit and become the living word. And say things in a way in which when they say those things, they're going to be heard, even by those people over there. Because when we get up and speak, um, when we get up and speak most of the time, we're speaking a lot of truths, but there is no power in, in, in the way in which we're speaking right now, today. Backed up by living. And, 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 and when, words are, when words are spoken and eloquently chosen and given to you by the Spirit and spoken by the Spirit, they pierce the heart and pierce the mind. And that's, not, and that's why I don't readily attend Seventh-day Adventist sermons anymore. I'm, going, I'm, 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 tr- I'm reaching out and gathering things from other places because it's the same thing. It's a repetition, it, and it's, it's most of the sermons and the presentations are spoken without power. There's, no, there's, there's not a, There may be truths, but there's not a lot of spirit in it, and it's not moving. So my, 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 my summation is, is, the, is, is, is it's going to fall back on us to search the Word and become the living Word and receive well, the Spirit. We have, we, have to, we have to become so committed, so focused on Jesus mm-hmm. that we allow Him to take charge completely, completely of us and rely on Him for everything we say, everything mm-hmm. we do, everything... Um, we try to teach 
And that's the the hard part, I think, is that we get caught up in our busyness and we get caught up in kind of trying to be machines to get it all done. At least I'm talking about myself. Um, that it's very easy to just not have that connection that we need. We're too overburdened. And I liked, um, you know, you were telling me about kind of the stages of selfishness that happened with Lucifer where that pride began that that first mistrust of God I think is probably that first step and then gradually you know he goes through those stages that, that you described to me which was very profound and then I read that an article that was just profound to me in that every person who is an abusive person they have found in in domestic violence they're sense of identity feels threatened in in some way and then they take it out on the person below them to think that they are because pride is a false identity it's a false identity exactly and so as that progression goes and um then abuse grows Mm -hmm. until violence happens and um so i just keep thinking lord i cannot solve the big picture all I have power over is what I do. Mm-hmm. All I have power over is my choices to ask the Holy Spirit to change my selfishness into love. That's all I have. Yep. And I am thankful that I have a God who will keep working with me and my own blindness and my own issues. And He won't throw me out just because. Um, he did not come to condemn the world, but to mm-hmm. that through him we might be saved. I mean, there's just beautiful scripture everywhere if we looked. But if we only focus on the condemning, well, who's the accuser of the brethren? Mm-hmm. Who is it? And real and the whole thing that also I think comes to play here, we are fighting not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so as much as I can be kind of frustrated with some leadership. It's not them. The, the evil one is has tried to infiltrate and sanctify selfishness. His principles. And his principles mm-hmm. in a religious guise mm-hmm. and a reli- you know, <laughs> wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. And there is a there's a passage where Jesus says to watch and pray and rejoice but test everything. And I'm thinking, okay, in the same breath, praying and rejoicing, but test everything. Wow. Wow. There's, there, I mean, there's so much to it, learn. It, it, it strikes me that none of us is safe yeah. unless we really know God yeah. as He really is. Yeah. And that, that knowing has to be more than knowing about Him, mm-hmm. but just really knowing Him in a personal, trusting yes. relationship. In which we we I can relate when anything is said that doesn't represent God, we can immediately pick it up and say that is not the way God would yeah. do. Well, you know, even just based on this, we gotta go. But the discussion here, yeah. this happening is I don't know if forcing is the right word, but it's compelling us mm-hmm. to re-examine Reader. ourselves, mm-hmm. our relationship with God. Where we are, how it, and that's super valuable. Yes, it is. Because mm-hmm. we can get to a place of complacency, mm-hmm. yeah. just personally. Yeah, because right now, our identity as part of the church yeah. 
is being shaken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's very important because our identity has been misplaced. Mm-hmm. Yes. And see, I I went through this is that. Necessary. Yeah. I went through through oh. that kind of. <laughs> yeah, shaking. it's dreadful, isn't it? And it took that God had to, God had to allow this yeah. to happen yeah. to get us to, to yeah. focus yeah. on what we need to focus right. on. Yeah. I went through that shaking uh, as a teenager mm-hmm. when I watched my father get fired twice mm-hmm. from denominational oh. employment. Oh wow! And. I was 13 the first time. I was so 17 the second time. I have to go. I have to be children's story. So every, every so four years apart, yeah. I went through it twice. Yeah. And I watched how God took care of my parents and how they financially made ends meet. And it was not always easy. My dad sacrificed a lot to try to get me through college. And in the end, I had to get myself through college because it was, there was a limit to what they yeah. could do. But it was... Um, and, but they did help even even then. It was just that I had to do some of it myself. I just, I just think that I have such a legacy from that, mm-hmm. that it has helped me to be strong and refuse to cow. Even if I get fired, so be it. Right. My, I've seen my dad go through that, and God took care of him. So I can go through with, with total peace and calmness and trust because I don't have to be afraid yeah. of anything that, that anyone tries to dictate to me. Uh, th- yeah. Think about this one thing. Ever since, yeah, we, I've come, we ever, need to... ever since I've come into the church, people have been praying for the shaking. You know, they, they've, been, they've, been wanting, they've been wanting this separation to take place. Well, Here we go. well no one imagined the form that it would take. Exactly. And now that it's taken, we're it all against it. You know, But the fact of the matter is, is that here it is. Yeah. It didn't come in the form that you were expecting, but it's here nevertheless. And, the, and, the, and Ellen White's earliest vision on the shaking, the keynote is that they agonize to keep their eyes on Jesus. That's what she says. Mm-hmm. Testimonies, Volume 1. So The chapter, The Shaking. So here you go. You it's a little sentence, and you can easily just glide right over it. Yeah. But, but that's the key. Their eyes have to be on Jesus. So let's have a quick prayer. Okay. Dear God, we ask in a special way that we might not lose the inspiration of this hour, but that mm-hmm. we might focus on you that we might truly know you and know you as you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.